All right, so let's take our Bibles. We're going to look to Matthew chapter 13. I'm not in a book series. It gives me a little opportunity for six weeks to talk through some topics on cultivating our heart, cultivating our heart spiritually, and how God wants to cultivate our heart for great fruitfulness in his kingdom. After there was a real contentious exchange between Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees who were challenging him, wanting to trap him and make it appear that he was not who he actually is, Jesus retreated to a home in Capernaum, which is just north of the Sea of Galilee on the shore. It's a, it, it, it would be like here. It would be quick and easy for us to get to the waters of the Cusa. And so was Capernaum. And Jesus spent the night in Capernaum. And the next morning, he rose up really early. And before anybody else was there, he slipped down to the shore, the Sea of Galilee. And as the waves there were just kind of lapping gingerly on the rocky shore, he just sits. It's a grand, quiet moment for him. But if you remember the narrative of Jesus throughout Galilee, there's not many of those moments where it's quiet and he's alone. Soon the people come out and they find him and the crowd starts to gather around him such that he was pressed. And like he did often, he just stepped into a boat there on the shore and cast out a bit. It gave him some space, but it also gave him opportunity to be back far enough where the water would take the sound of his voice and broadcast that to the crowds who had now gathered. And Jesus began to teach them in that moment and taught them as the prophet said that he would. He taught them through parables. And so you find this section of scripture uh, in Matthew 13 where Jesus begins to teach them the parable of the sower. And he says on into verse 3, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed some seed, fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell along thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus would later tell about the parable a little bit more when the disciples asked for the significance of it, its meaning. And over in verse 18, he says, Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, 
and in another 30. One enters the kingdom of God by hearing and understanding God's word. And this parable, the sower, teaches us just that. It's teaching us how somebody enters the kingdom of God and how other people do not enter the kingdom of God. Some receive the word and others don't receive the word. And as God has broadcasted the word, Jesus says that some of that word falls on people who have hardened hearts. It would be like the pathway near a garden. As the seed is there, the enemy quickly snatches that seed away from that hardened path. The word may fall upon people who are excited about the prospects of not ending in eternal hell under the judgment of God, and they received the good news that they could actually have heaven one day in the future, but that's a, sip, a superficial kind of thought. It's salvation that God has given us is way more than raise your hand if you don't want to go to hell. And so when the persecution comes and the intensity persists and the call of self-denial is understood and a rejection of the world is clear, then they fall away because they choose not to truly live in repentance. And the Word of God falls upon people who have entangled lives like that of the entanglement of thorns, its worldliness and riches, and that really chokes out the genuineness of any faith that somebody might have. Jesus said it so succinctly when he said, you can't serve God in money. One snuffs out the other. Finally, God delivers his word to a fourth group as Jesus announces it. Those who hear God's word and their heart is likened by Jesus as good soul. In other words, their hearts are receptive and responsive to that word that has been planted. And it bears forth a deep root. And that root begins to allow their lives to grow. And the evidence of that is that they bear forth fruit. Jesus said remarkably, some of them a hundredfold, others 60, others 30. What he is telling us that people that come into the kingdom of God through the word of God are going to bear fruit. They have fruitfulness about them. So look again in verse 23 of the 13th chapter of Matthew. He says, he indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, another 60, and another 30. Really what stood out to me over the last few days is this claim. He indeed. In other words, Jesus is saying genuine Christianity clearly has fruit. It's fruit of the kingdom of God. It's fruit of the word of God. It's going to bear forth fruit. So over the next six weeks, I want us to concentrate on the fruitfulness of God in our lives and ask God to cultivate our hearts so that this good soil of our heart would be evident as God's word comes to us and we receive it and we know it and we understand it that it will bear forth fruit and that the fruitfulness would be evident a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Oh God, would you cultivate our hearts? Do it today, please, I pray. And let it be throughout the rest of the week and let it be next Sunday that you cultivate us more and work in us over the next six weeks 
that our hearts would be nurtured for greater fruitfulness. And at the conclusion of our six weeks, you and I will have a greater discipline in what Colossians 3 says. We're seeking things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And as a church, we will practice setting our minds on things above, not things on the earth. So at the conclusion of our time together in this little series, I pray that God will more richly show evidence of his grace, that we will be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit in the daily activities of our lives, and that we would walk by faith yielding abundant fruit to the glory of Christ and for the good of others. That's really what I'm praying God will do in us. So I think maybe our prayer this day as we start this little series is, God, will you produce fruit in me? Cultivate my heart that I might bear fruit a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, that I might bear forth fruit. Now, today I want to concentrate on one aspect of this cultivation and what God uses in our lives to cultivate our heart. And one of the things that he uses is to cultivate our heart through prayer. So I want to dive into you and me engaging in prayer and how God might cultivate our heart unto him through the, the discipline of prayer. The times in my life when there was bountiful spiritual harvest that was evident in me and the rewards of that spiritual harvest were evident were those times that I had a rich, a rich practice of prayer. I'm talking about an intimate fellowship with God in prayer. There is a, a coinciding element of rich prayer and rich harvest. And those times that I have experienced fruitfulness in my life, I can look back and say, oh God, that was also a time that I had a, an intimate, engaging practice of prayer with you. I'm aware as well as I look back on my life and reflect on those times where there was little fruit, there was little praying. Can we just be honest about this for a moment? In, in those times when I recognize there is a lack of fruitfulness in my life, I, I really don't know exactly when I begin to pull away from the intimacy that God longs to have with me, but I can, ref, I can look back and say, there was a moment somehow along the way that I just said, not today. And that not today in prayer turned into not so much this week and then not so much in the month. And I don't know, it just, it sort of happens. Do you find yourself there that you know the track and you know where you ought to be, but you're not sure where you took the detour, but somewhere along the line, you got off track. And it usually occurs along a way that you didn't really recognize what was happening, but you do know when there's fruitlessness when there's barrenness, when there's an arid spirituality about you. I usually don't know when those times occur, but I often regret them fairly quickly. That's because the Spirit is a convictor. He convicts in love. He, he is reminding us, hey, that's not who you are in Christ, or that's not the way God wants to relate to you with this foreignness with this not speaking very often. God is drawing you near. That's the Spirit's call in our lives. So in the dry seasons of self-reliance, when there's spiritual sight that is hazy at best and spiritual apathy grows through 
to uh, heights that I don't want and the power of the Spirit is minimal in my life, it's in those moments that I say, how did I get here? That's God's grace to even recognize you're there. That's God's Spirit longing for you to come back to a cultivated heart where you can actually have a fruitfulness in your life unto the glory of Christ. So by God's grace, he is opening our eyes to those moments and those conditions that we're in. We often recognize in that season of life, sin degrades us. It just constantly makes us feel less. And Satan is denouncing us increasingly in those moments. It's a vicious cycle of feeling bad and and, uh, being denounced by the enemy who is the accuser of the brethren. Perhaps for some of you, it's dawning on you right now that your soul is there, your heart is there, your spirit is there, you're thirsty, and you are hungry. And if so, then that's the Spirit's call for a freshness about you, a, a cultivation in you. If you're a gardener, you do recognize that you don't cultivate soil just in the beginning as you're planting. You cultivate soil all the way through the, the fruit-bearing You make sure that the weeds are pulled out. You make sure that there is a cultivation that is happening. Nutrients are being infused and water is being brought in if if God is not providing it from the heavens. So in this moment, we recognize, some of us, God, I recognize you want more fruitfulness from me. And certainly that is engaging with you. I'll experience you all the more freshly if you do that. Lord, cultivate my heart cultivate me. Maybe you're seeing no fruit right now, or maybe you're seeing some fruit, and you're asking God, I want more fruit unto your glory. Maybe you're 30-fold, and you're wanting to move to 60-fold, or 60-fold, wanting to move to 100-fold. Just cultivate my heart by your Spirit, Lord. And one of the ways that he cultivates our heart is through prayer. Now, I'm not wanting you to feel shame or guilt for not praying. I don't want to twist your arm And you thinking as you leave this place, okay, I've got to do better and pray more. Instead, I hope you all understand the opportunities and the possibilities of somebody who engages God in intimate prayer and how their hearts can be conditioned unto great fruitfulness. Can I remind you, your family will change as God is fruitful in your life? The influence that you have on others, family, friends, co-workers, co-students, whatever it is, That will change as you bear fruitfulness unto Christ. So this cultivation is far more than just about you. This is about what God wants to cultivate in you to bear fruit that will be good for him and others. And obviously for you. So let's think about the cultivation that God wants to do in our hearts regarding prayer. I came up with six things that I was thinking that God would would uh, use in prayer in the cultivation of our heart. Actually, I think I I came up with seven. I did have six and I added the seventh because I didn't want to end on an incomplete number like six. So the Spirit gave me seven. It could probably be 77. You might come up with some others. That's fine too. Prayer prompts us to worship and praise God. All right, let me just throw this out here in the negative. If you're not praying... You're not worshiping and praising. I do regret when my praise is muted. I do regret those times. 
So, okay, you're not worshiping and you're not praising God. Maybe you come in here. Some of you don't even sing. Some of you don't even acknowledge God in the room. It's probably because your heart is not cultivated. And God wants us to cultivate our heart through prayer. One of the first things that we do when we really engage in intimate prayer is we worship God. We praise Him because we're recognizing Him. I mean, just the fact that we say, Heavenly Father, that's a, that's a worship, that's a praise, that's, a, that's the beginning of recognizing who we are speaking with. So prayer will cause us to worship and praise God. Prayer will make us more sensitive to God's will and will align us with his character. You can't just pray to God in the character of God without saying, and oh God, do that in me. I want to be more like you. Genuine, intimate prayer helps us to confess our sins and walk faithfully in Christ's forgiveness and righteousness. That's what prayer is doing. It's cultivating. It's not just announcing to God in confession of our sins, but it's recognizing the fullness of the righteousness of Christ that has been given to me. Oh God, these ways are not like you. This is the way of Christ. I agree with you. This is sin. Now, Lord, let the righteousness of Christ be alive in me. What you have given to me in Christ, let me walk in that salvation. Prayer acknowledges our identity in Christ and affirms that he is reliable. This is who I am. Lord, this is who you say I am. I am who I am, we sing, because God says who I am, right? And so when we're praying, we are offering that back to him. Lord, this is who I am in Christ. I'm acknowledging that identity in prayer. It encourages our surrender to Christ, attuning our heart to his will and his ways. Just coming in alignment with him. And prayer strips away the hindrances that we might have of walking in Christ. His peace, his grace, his power. And I could have added a whole lot more to that. So listen, what I want you to see in those seven points there is that prayer is meant to be a cultivating of our heart. Now, yes, prayer is asking, it's seeking, it's knocking, it's all those things that we do, but prayer is also a working of God in our hearts, cultivating us, tenderizing us, nurturing us, refreshing us, reminding us that we might be nurtured and bear fruit, bear fruit of Christ. So, I would encourage us to think of prayer in that way. I, I am thinking for a moment about Jesus and how he nurtured the disciples, just walking with them, living life with them, talking. Can you imagine the exchange that the disciples had with Jesus? I mean, just this passage of, of Matthew 13, he's teaching to the crowds and Andrew and John, maybe somewhere back in that crowd, and they're like nudging each other. Hey, we got to ask him about this. I have no idea what he's talking about. And they finally get over to Jesus when they're alone. And I, Lord, what in the world? All that talk about casting seed and birds coming and weeds choking. What's all that about? Can you imagine how Jesus nurtured them in that moment? Guys, let me tell you what it's about. He just opens it up to them. Man, that was probably a hundred times in any given day where he's just nurturing them by talking to them. All right, Jesus is not here in the personal with us. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, but he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. 
I'm going to go to the Father. And it's a good thing I'm going to the Father because he will send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will remind you of everything that I ever told you. We have that treasure in the Bible today. All those things that the Spirit of God was reminding the apostles were written down so that we might have them and treasure them. So now God is speaking to us, nurturing us in the same way he did with the disciples, only he does it with his Holy Spirit. He does it with the counsel of his word, and he does it with his body called the church. So he's still nurturing us, still talking to us, and prayer is very much the means of that engaging way of Christ. Prayer is this wondrous work of the Holy Spirit. It's the exhale of the breathing. The Word of God is the inhale, and the prayer is the exhale of spiritual breathing. It's the nurturing that God is doing in our hearts, the cultivating of God. Now, the longer we live out of sync, out of tune with Christ, the more discord with him will be in our lives. The more discord of his will and way. In fact, if prayer is the attuning of my heart to Christ, the less I pray, the more discord I will be in the will and the way of Christ. This is where unfruitfulness comes in. All right, can I just kind of nudge in this way a little bit further? This is where sinfulness takes deep root in us. This is how we can sin and keep on sinning. And, and some, a regrettable habit of sin, prayerlessness provokes that. It prompts that. Prayer, on the other hand, will attune my heart to his will and way. Have you ever noticed that when you have repetitive, continual, unconfessed sin, that it's not very comfortable be, to be in a place of prayer? You ever notice that? There's no intimacy to that. I mean, you might be going through the routines because you know that's what's expected of you, but there's no intimacy to that. And so when we come to the Father, we're asking him, oh, Lord, Obviously, my heart is not attuned to the will, the way of Christ. So, Lord, I'm in this intense moment of prayer with you. Tune my heart to your will and way. And where I am discorded, please, Lord, tune me again. Tune my spirit. Tune my mind to you. So, if you are wanting the cultivation of God in your heart, then I would say one of the first places to start is prayer. All right, let's think about this practically. How do we do this? I'm going to move through these next little points fairly quickly. We've given you some room to jot some notes. And if the Lord prompts you in some way with his word today or some challenging thought that I give you, just jot them down real quick. The first is this, make prayer a rhythm of your life. And I think if you will have prayer as a rhythm of your life, then it will pr promote a consistent conversation with God. So there's a rhythm that I want to build in my life so that the rest of my waking moments of my daily life is just consistently in prayer. You know, the Apostle Paul says to pray unendingly, to pray unceasingly. How do you do that? Well, first you just start a rhythm. I need to begin with a rhythm. Uh, Kay and I will often say in the morning, good morning. And we often say in the evening, good night. 
<laughs> and maybe you're the same way. You see somebody in the afternoon, good afternoon. I mean, that's a natural rhythm, isn't it? It's the most elementary way of our conversing together. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. What if you built a rhythm in your life with God where you did the same thing? Uh, my clock typically will go off around 5.15, 5.30, whatever. When I stretch, and boy, do I ever stretch. When I stretch and I'll rotate my feet and they hit the floor, what if I just learned a rhythm? Good morning, Lord. What if my morning prayer began, good morning, Lord? And what if in the afternoon I put a discipline of rhythm in my mind and I said, good afternoon, Lord. And before my head hit the pillow, I say in a prayer, good evening, Lord, good night. What if I could build a rhythm like that? Now you say, Randy, that is so simple. That's so elementary. Well, why aren't we doing that? That's the way Daniel did it. Morning, noon, evening. That's the way David did it, according to the Bible. Morning, noon, evening. Where he built a rhythm in his life. And the Bible says of David, there was nobody that had a heart like God for God like David. How did that happen? He was cultivating his heart in prayer. Good morning, Lord. Good afternoon, Lord. Good evening, Lord. All right, so maybe you don't do exactly that. Maybe you say, before I start anything in the day, I'm going to be in prayer. Maybe before I uh, have lunch or after lunch, whatever, I'm going to have prayer. Before I turn on an electronic in the evening, before the TV goes on, or before my head hits the pillow, I will have prayer. Maybe you pull out your phone and you say, um, Hey Siri, remind me every day this week to pray at 2 p.m. And Siri does. Okay. I added it. How about that? <laughs> now guess what's going to happen every afternoon at 2 p.m.? Siri is going to remind me to pray. He said, Randy, surely you are remembering to pray. Oh, maybe I need a practice of rhythm so that in my practice I can consistently and intimately speak with the Lord. Do you have a rhythm of prayer? Just a practical rhythm of prayer. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I haven't asked Kay about this, so I'm kind of going out on a limb on this one. Uh, before we go to bed in the evening, how about this week, babe, if we just hit our knees at the bedside and have a prayer? Now, we usually pray together in the mornings, but maybe we're going to pray together in the mornings and we're going to pray together in the evenings just to establish a rhythm of prayer. You say, Randy, surely you're praying before your head hits the pillow. No. No. Not surely. But if I practice, that practice will turn into a habit in about 60 days. And in that habit, my heart will be better conditioned to be like Christ. That'll bear fruit. Look at the next one. Pray unplugged and uninterrupted. So I'm talking about without your phone, without the computer, without the noisy distractions. Now, some of you have kids, and there is no such thing as not having distractions. But sometime those kids go to sleep. 
sometimes you put them in timeout, whatever the case may be. And you can have a moment of creative, uninterrupted time. Uh, how about if you just determined there was going to be a particular time where you're not even around your phone? Not that you just mute it, but you're not even in the same room. Because you want to purposefully spend some time in prayer where you're praying unconnected, dis, uh, unplugged. And I would say that that is a good habit for us because Luke reminded us of it at least three times that Jesus would pull away to a desolate pray, place to pray. Why? Because he was intimate with his father. He would spend that time. Is there a time that you purpose to be unplugged and uninterrupted in prayer? I encourage you to make that time. Uh, for Kay and me, together as a couple, it's in the morning. Maybe, maybe it'll be different for you. Uh, we've had seasons where we've determined we will not turn on the TV until we have had good time in God's Word and prayer. Or I will not check email until I first speak to the Father in prayer. Whatever it takes for you to cultivate this, this opportunity in prayer. Number three, pray with a prayer posture. If you read through the Bible, you might make notice of all the different postures of praying, and there's many of them. You know, praying in the Bible is often looking to heaven, eyes gaze to heaven, Sometimes it's hands raised to heaven, according to the Bible. Sometimes it's on your knees, and sometimes it's with your head to the floor. Sometimes it's with your body prone to the earth and your face on the ground. I mean, there's so many different postures of praying in the Bible. You know the one posture of praying in the Bible that you and I do mostly? It does not say in the Bible you ought to be closing your eyes. It doesn't say not to. But it's the only posture that you and I are most definitive about in our prayer. We bow our head and close our eyes. But maybe you ought to practice different postures. Would the posture of praying make a difference in the way you pray? I would say, yeah. Do you think the Lord knows the intention of my heart when I'm down on my knees and when my face is to the carpet? You think that makes a difference? Is that demonstratively showing the Lord the intention of my heart in this moment? Does it say anything to God in my worship and praise if my eyes are cast to heaven and my hands are raised to him? Do you think that communicates in any way in my posture of prayer? Sure it does. And that's the reason why so many in the Bible have different postures of prayer. Because they are revealing their heart. They're revealing what they're longing for in communication and reception that God will give them in this posture of praying. So consider alternating the posture of your praying. Now look, if you walk out of here and you say, my preacher said, no, close your eyes in prayer. That is not what I said. <laughs> I said, how about infusing some different postures in your prayer with the intention of reflecting your heart to the Lord? Pray using the Bible. The Bible and prayer go hand in hand. Think of it, as I said earlier, as breathing, spiritual breathing. Lord, I want to breathe in your word and I want to exhale these truths back to you. I want it to be a, an, an exhale and an inhale. Uh, when Kay and I are together reading the Bible, oftentimes she's reading one text, I'm reading another. 
because we're, we're doing so uh, differently and purposefully differently. Uh, when we discover a character of God, a characteristic of God, it will often be revealed in the prayer time we've had. Uh, when, I, when I know and I'm reading of God's holiness, I'll just reflect that back to him in the prayer. Lord, today, it's so evident in that text that you are holy, that you are righteous, or that you're altogether loving, or that you are just. Whatever the character of God that I'm finding in the scripture, I'll reflect that back to him. Some might say, how do you know what God is like? You know what God is like by the reading of his word. Uh, some might say, oh, I know what he's like because the experiences. No, no, no. My experiences are really fickle. And sometimes I get them all mixed up. Sometimes my experiences don't align like they should. But God's word is forever true. God's word is always perfect and right. And so I want my, my experiences to come in alignment with this word. So I just reflect back the things that I discover in the word. Just reflect them back in prayer. Or maybe it's some, something that convicts me in that moment. The Spirit of God is using this word to convict me, to re, help me to realize where my life is off centered from the plumb of God's word. And in that prayer, I need to say, Lord, you're right. This attitude or these words or this action, that's sinful. It's, it's against you and your truth. And Lord, would you forgive me? And yes, he will. According to 1 John, he'll cleanse us. Would you cleanse me, Lord, and would you help me to be right in this, to live righteously in this? And sometimes the Spirit will remind me of a kingdom purpose or a command or a principle or a precept as I'm reading. And the first steps of me being obedient to that is just to echo that back to him. Lord, it was clear today. This is what you want for our lives. Lord, let it be evident in us. Work that by your spirit in us. It's the first step of obedience. So pray using the Bible. And then number five, pray actively. If you're with me, just say, I'm still with you. I'm with you. All right, good. Prayer is more of a blessing than a duty. Catch that. Prayer is more of a blessing than it is a duty so you and I should come to God's throne room with the right attitude that this is a joyous blessing. What a privilege to be able to speak to the holy God of the universe, the one who's created all things, sustains all things, and will bring all things to bear to him. Thank you, God, for allowing me to speak to you, to come to your throne with boldness. How in the world do you approach the throne of God with boldness? By the mercy and the grace that has already been given to you in Jesus Christ. So it's a wonderful blessing that we get to come to the Lord in prayer. What a privilege. So our attitude ought to be just that. And if that's the attitude that we have, what a privilege, Lord. Then let the generalities go away and let's dive into the specifics. All the mantra that's just repeated because that's what you do when you pray, push that aside and say, Lord, what a blessing for me to be able to talk to you today. And Lord, this is what's on my heart. And what's on my heart that's not what's on your heart, correct me. Oh, Lord, engage me by your spirit who knows your perfect will and lives within me. Connect those two together in my prayer time. Help me, Lord, to be active in my prayer. So active praying is very personal. It's very insightful. 
I mean this in the right sense of the word. It is a holy wrestling between the Spirit of God and our flesh. What an active sight that is of the Spirit of God wrestling with us. And as he's wrestling with us in our flesh, he is championing the victories of Jesus Christ. Just constantly drawing our attention to the victories that are ours, belonging to us by faith in Christ. And when I say actively, I would encourage you to pray actively aloud. My prayers are not meant to be muted. In fact, they are often unmuted. If I'm praying, I'm typically uttering in some way that expression with my mouth aloud. Now, it might be as soft as a whisper. Or if I'm alone and people won't think I'm wacko, I might actually verbalize it out loud in a conversational way. Maybe it's a muttering that comes into my heart and it's expressed out my lips. But most often, if I'm praying, I'm praying aloud. You know why? Because my mind doesn't drift near as much when I'm praying out loud. But I'm just thinking about praying, thinking prayers. Man, I can think about a hundred different things at one time. I would encourage you to actively pray. Pray out loud. Number six, and this is the last one I'm going to share with you today. Pray with others. Start with your spouse and your family. Kay and I have been praying together now for several years. Don't get me wrong. We have always prayed at general times, specific times, needful times. But I'm talking about a very routine way now of praying together. Not, a, not over the meal. We continue to do that. Uh, we want to show thanks to God for his provisions. Uh, so we, we continue to pray together over meals. But I'm talking about purposefully praying together as a family. So we're reading God's word. And at the end of that, she reaches over. I reach over. She's going to extend her left hand. I'm going to extend my right hand. We're going to hold hands together. And as we are holding hands together, our spirits are together united in prayer. Can I just tell you that it's very hard for her to be ticked off at me when we are praying together? <laughs> this is like the greatest opportunity in my life with my wife. It's hard for her to stay sourpuss when I'm praying God's joy, peace, and grace in her life. <laughs> I'm kidding. Confessional prayers are obviously needed in the gunner house. Seriously, what prayer does together is it unites the hearts. Okay, now listen. I'm going to be just as truthful and authentic with you right now that I can be. Some of your families are in desperate need of a rekindled heart, a unified heart. Some of you are just barely hanging on. I'm telling you, there's, there's little joy. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of accusation. Some of that is landing. Some of it is misfired. Some of it is true. 
Some of you are thinking, if the kids were just not in the house, then we probably wouldn't be together anymore. Or maybe I can make it to this point. Or I don't really want her in my life. Or doesn't God want me to be happy? And all those kind of crazy thoughts that you and I think periodically. Let me tell you the answer. The answer is for you and your wife or you and your husband to get on your knees, hold hands together, and pray to an intimate God. And when you pray to him and you bear your soul to him and you pray for your spouse out loud and your heart is given to your spouse in genuine prayer, there will be a rekindling, a cultivating of your heart that will not only be good for you, but it will be good for your family. It will be to the glory of God and the good of others around you. Why are you not doing it? Why are you going to stay in that broken place? I'll tell you why some of you are. It's because you're going to be embarrassed if you say, do you want to pray together? You're going to think, I don't have the words. I don't live the life to be able to do that. I can't have cussing out of my mouth at the same time that I have blessings, preacher. Oh, you can come up with a lot of different reasons why not to do it. Let me tell you the one that applies. The blood of Jesus cleanses. The blood of Jesus makes you altogether new. The old things pass away. Everything comes new in Christ Jesus. His spirit is in you if you are by faith in him. And he will bring you to that place where you can humble yourself. Get on your knees together. Hold hands together. Look at each other in the eye when you're praying if you want to. But pray together. See what God will do it's going to be an answer for some of you some of you might be so hard that that word just hits and man the enemy has started already swooping down to scoop it away but today today could be an opportunity somebody husband and wife somebody's going to have to look at the other and say let's pray together Wives, you might be discounting if your husband's going to ever do that. You've asked him before and he didn't do it yet. Ask him again today. Husbands, man up. Man up. I know you don't want to. Listen, I was a preacher and didn't want to. Man up and just ask your wife, would you like to pray together? Here's the way Kay and I started this a few years ago. We will not turn on the TV until we've prayed together. That's pretty simple. I make this pledge. I will not turn on the TV until we have prayed together. What will you do with it? You say, why, preacher, why? Because God wants to cultivate your heart. Why? Because God wants you fruitful. So how's your spiritual life? How productive is your spiritual life? As I can say, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Oh, yeah. What's the fruit? How productive is it? How's your fellowship with Christ? Is it sweet? Is it personal? If so, I would say keep doing what you're doing. Keep basking in his presence. Keep loving him. If your life is yielding fruit, I'm talking about 30-fold, 30, 30 times 
Glory be to God. How about asking him to cultivate your heart to move it to 60? You say, preacher, it has never been better. 60 fold, 60 times it's evident that God's fruit is bearing in my life. How about asking him to cultivate your heart to move it to 100? How about having a holy draw to greater fruitfulness unto the glory of Christ and for the good of others? You say, oh Lord, do a fresh work. You're already doing a work. Do a fresh work of cultivating my heart. Nurture me that I might be more fruitful unto your glory. And if you're in a spiritual dry place, then be reminded that Christ's desire is to refresh you. His desire is to cleanse you and forgive you if necessary for his spirit to fill you and prosper you into abundant living. And if you are staying in that place, and I've been there before, then I want to invite you to come out, take the path, and the path is prayer. Stay on the journey of prayer because it will lead you away from the dry, arid, spiritual wilderness. Come to the pathway. So help us, God, I pray. As your word has been given today, your spirit is prompting, nurture that into truth that we apply. Do a work in us, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.